You're listening to Vet Candy. Hi, this is Dr. Jessica Turner, and you are listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica, your one stop for all things wellness, not just how to move or what to eat, but everything in between. And today I have a little bit of a different treat for you guys. It's not the first time we have someone that has some international flair and just a little different story than what we typically hear. But she's definitely special and I can't wait to introduce her to you guys and just dig into her story and what she is doing. Um, And so today I have Dr. Anna Katajuridis. She is a Greek-American veterinarian originally from Carpathos Island, Greece. She holds a degree in molecular biology from the University of Crete, which is in Greece, and a doctorate in veterinary medicine from the Virginia, Maryland Veterinary College. She has over 17 years of animal advocacy experience within Greece and internationally. She has volunteered for various organizations in Africa, Europe, Asia, and America, and has treated thousands of animals ranging from domestic to wildlife species, including various species of monkeys. Dr. Anna is the only Greek-American veterinarian who has worked closely with the Jane Goodall Institute and Dr. Jane Goodall herself since 2014 and founded Dr. Jane Goodall's official office in Greece. She also works as an emergency veterinarian for a number of specialty hospitals in the U.S. and offers her knowledge and services to nonprofit organizations around the world. When she is not working, she is found traveling the developing countries where veterinary care is needed, either for wildlife or domestic animals. And she has a strong belief in the well-being and health of animals people and the environment being interconnected, which is what I really look forward to digging into today. So thank you so much for being on the show. Um, It's it's a pleasure. And I always just love to kick things off with giving you the the opportunity to share a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up doing the work you're doing. So like you said, I was um, born in Athens, Greece, and then I was raised on a remote island in Greece called Carpathos. It's very south. It's next to Crete. Um, And growing up, I actually had the idea that there were no vets around anywhere because I didn't know any better. There was unfortunately a lot of abuse and neglect on the island like there is in throughout the country and elsewhere in the world. So growing up, seeing all that pain and suffering, it was kind of like a natural drawing to me to become a veterinarian. So since the age of five, I wanted to follow that path. I was deterred by many people to not going to vet school. Becoming a medical doctor or a lawyer was the normal back then. But I had, yeah, (laughs) the status and the money, I think, for most families. But I I have good parents and they believed in me and my dream and they really supported me throughout all these years. So after finishing up the biology department in Greece, I ended up in the U.S. And that kind of set the path for what I'm doing now, which I'm very, very thankful to everybody who has contributed to that. I always joke that, I don't know, like an exact percentage, but I feel like at least 90% of the people that come on that are veterinarians, they knew from a very early age. Like that's the typical story. But I love how you knew from a very early age that you wanted to do a different kind of work within the veterinary field. I would just love to hear how that, that passion and, you know, it's almost like you knew from a very early age, like a specific purpose, you know, that was placed on you? And how did that develop 
whenever you did, you know, go to vet school and just kind of share a little bit more about the work that you got involved with there. Through these experiences, mainly in Greece, I kind of understood that there was a need for community outreach and awareness and a need to change that mentality that people had over the years. And in the beginning, I was very judgmental of bad behaviors and I could not understand what was causing them. That was causing a lot of frustration to me and a lot of disappointment. I think it wasn't until I went to Africa, specifically to Congo, where Dr. Jane Goodall's um, chimpanzee sanctuary is, one of the biggest ones in Africa, that they kind of helped me understand that there's always a different story when it comes to the way people treat animals. So in a lot of countries where they don't have money, selling wildlife for, for money or hunting them for food is what's normal and what's needed to be done for them to survive. So through that experience, I kind of started understanding that you always have to take the other side into account and kind of try to see how you can help people if you want to help animals have a better welfare. So that was honed in me over the years. Um, and then going into vet school, having all these opportunities with um, more traveling and interacting with more vets, it kind of helped kind of develop that, that need that I had to travel and do more. That's kind of how it all started for me. I love that you touched on what you did about your frustrations early on, because even though I haven't been in practice for a while, one of the struggles in, I'm in a, a rural area and there's still a lot of people that view animals differently than what I was brought up with. And it does play a huge role in treatment and how we're able to practice. And I know this is like a very big contrast from the work that you're talking about. I think it's still very applicable and there's people probably listening that could relate to that frustration because we do have a certain way of like thinking and looking at things because we have such support for animals that we just can't really understand why some people, you know, have the behaviors they do. And so I love that you shared that experience and how we really don't know whether it's how someone was brought up and, you know, their view of animals. It may be completely night and day from what we, you know, were brought up in. Or like you said, if there's specific needs that we just truly can't understand. I, I do have a story, if you're interested, that's actually very fresh. And I think it kind of points to, to how people are raised. So just last week, we had a case on Carpathos Island. Um, of a dog that was found with severe leishmaniasis and ehrlichiosis, terrible state, terrible situation. And the dog was just tied up all of its life on a tree, 14 years old. It's a very common theme in Greece throughout the country. Um, so when we approached the owner, me over the phone, and then the volunteers in person to kind of see how we can get that dog to the vet, he's like, but you don't understand. That's not the kind of dog that goes on the couch. It's a dog that's for the tree. And, you know, volunteers, mind blown by this, got frustrated. We've trained them not, not to express that frustration because we, as an organization on the island, don't want to have any negative interactions that are going to prevent us from helping changing that, to change that mentality in the future. But it was another eye-opening moment because an 80-year-old man is not going to change his mentality within a day just because we go there and tell him that all dogs are equal and all dogs deserve care and love. And slowly, slowly, we're trying to change his mentality. We've taken the dog away now. But that, that's just one fresh story that I have to share of all of these aspects that you have to consider when you're going into the animal welfare world. Because you can't make a difference within a day. It takes time. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. 
this is Dr. Jessica Turner from Living Well with Dr. Jessica. When life is busy, it's easy to put your personal needs at the bottom of your list of things to do. That's why you need to read my book, Best of Living Well with Dr. Jessica. Discover ways to care for yourself, improve your happiness and well-being. Check it out for free at Kindle Unlimited, Apple Books, and even at MyVetCandy.com. It is time to make your wellness a priority. I automatically, while you're sharing that, I'm like, okay, so do you have advice? Patience. <laughs> I, I would tell you that, I, it, you know, it's something I'd probably still struggle with if, if I was back in practice, you know, because we we so badly want to be able to convince them to see things differently. And like you said, it's not going to happen in a day, especially when it's people that, I mean, they have that many years of, that's just how it is. But when you look back at that process that you kind of went through, do you have advice for someone that may be still in that beginning phase where it's just really hard to put yourself in the other person's shoes so that we could kind of be part of the solution? <laughs> First of all, patience. I mean, I'm 34 now, and I, I've been on that island going back and forth since I was born. And through the years, I've seen change, but it's not the change that I wanted to see. Obviously, I wanted, I was hoping that change would come sooner. But we have more volunteers that help now. We have more people that have pets, which wasn't the case before. So patience is is very needed in these cases. The other thing is a lesson I've learned from Dr. Jane Goodall herself. And that is that if you, again, don't understand the issues and the mentality that people are raised with and the issues that they have, you can't make a difference. Because if they see you as somebody who's coming to point a finger and create, just blame them instead of helping them, you've already lost the game. So I think patience and kindness and trying to be aware of both sides of the story um, is is what's going to get anybody um, to have results long term. You're already causing more division than helping if you come in that way because it's so true. So you always knew you wanted to be a part of this kind of work. And I feel like travel very commonly is associated with that, but doesn't necessarily have to. But would you share a little bit more on how you were able to like unlock these doors of opportunity to be able to do the work that you do through multiple continents and countries and for those interested in in that kind of work? So so contrary to what um, some people might think, I actually had no connections. And I think that if I didn't have my parents' support, we're not wealthy people, but again, they have the same type of mentality that they passed on to me, which is we help as much as we can and we try to make a difference. So whenever I had an idea of traveling to a country and gaining experience, they wholeheartedly supported that idea and let me go which wasn't easy for my mom, but but she was happy while I was there and Skyping and showing her what I was doing. Emailing people you admire, even if you don't get a yes, uh, a no, you might get a yes. That's an advice I got from um, Dr. Reagan, who's a professor at Virginia, Maryland. And it really resonated with me because it's true. The, the worst thing that can happen is that somebody doesn't reply or that you get a no. The best thing that can happen is that you get a yes and a door opens that you haven't thought about. And that's how the Dr. Jane Goodall experience came along. I wrote a letter and I left it next to her during a presentation, a lecture that she was giving while I was in vet school. I didn't think she was going to read it, but she did. She reads all the letters that were given to her, something I found out later on. And then two weeks later, I get a personal email from her. And, and that's how our relationship started. My kind of advice to everybody is to not listen to people that tell you that you can't do something or 
you can't be the person you want to be, but kind of follow your passion and your dream. And I, I'm pretty sure that if people just do what they want, they're going to end up doing what they love the most. But if you give up, it's on you. I love that example of writing that letter. I mean, it's just because, I mean, it would be so easy to to give so many reasons why that was like a quote unquote stupid idea at the time, right? Like that she's not going to read it or. <laughs> and that was my husband's idea. I didn't even know if I could make it to the lecture, to be honest. I We, we had a physiology exam the next day. I emailed my professor and Dr. Bonnie and I told her, you know, Dr. Jane Goodall is coming an hour away from us. And it was my lifelong dream to meet her and, and see her in person all the way from Carpathos. I can't believe she's an hour away. And she literally replied to me, forget about the exam, go to the lecture. And then my husband said, make sure you write a letter because there's no way you're going to have a chance to talk to her. And I did. And I just told her my life story and what I want to do. And she's a person who believes in people. And she just grabbed me. And that was it. So you went into it with that letter. I was thinking like you were sitting in a lecture and like decided you were going to write it on the spot. That's why I'm like, oh, I could see so many back and forth excuses going on in your in your head. So you keep talking about your parents and the role they played. I've been very fortunate with parents that are, my dad is a pediatrician and does ER medicine now and has been for a long time, but there's still like this, not, it was never from them. But even when I stepped away from practicing veterinary medicine, there's always just been this like, well, why didn't you go to med school like your dad? And why would you stop practicing veterinary medicine to, you know, do this other crazy stuff that you're doing? <laughs> but they've always supported me no matter what, um, even when I was thinking of going to art school, because I was all over the place. But I can't help but think of, you know, if we have listeners that weren't that fortunate and maybe they're, you know, like they're listening to us sharing and, oh, well, that might, must be nice. Like that's the difference. You know, I am alone. I'm my only cheerleader, that kind of thing. I personally would recommend, you said like reaching out to people you admire that you may not even hear from, but you may not have someone that is physically in your corner, but you could find people that are out there that are doing things that you want to do and that believe in the work that you want to do. And you could hold on to their resources and, and try to connect that way. But do you have any advice for someone that may be in that position where they just feel like it's just so much when you're trying to do it on your own, when you have these big dreams. I have colleagues who went to vet school when they were 40 and 47 or 50, um, and it was a late life change. And I have one close friend who actually followed the wrong path because of a similar situation. And then at the end, she tr ended up changing her career. Um, and the one thing I have to say is it's never too late. If your job is not calling you and it's not helping you feel fulfilled at the end of the day there are ways to either enrich it or change paths and find what really suits you and the other thing is just trying to find a supportive environment somehow i mean there's so many ways to connect with people nowadays via facebook or just finding emails online and i'm not on facebook anymore but there are people who can connect that way and i think reaching out and taking that leap of faith it might be like, again, you don't get a response. I've reached out to people and I know they've read my messages and they don't get back to me. That's okay. That's part of the game. But that one person that might end up returning your email or your phone call or your message might end up changing your life and being your biggest supporter. So for me, it's find, find that courage to take that leap of faith and believe in the people that are around you, even if they're not close to you. Media now helps us connect in so many ways that it's, it's not a problem anymore. 
Yeah, it's definitely a positive of of the age we live in with technology. You also made me think of something when we were talking about one, you're never going to know if you don't send the message or make the call, you know, on what could happen. But something I've learned in the last couple of years, you know, even with Vet Candy and this show, and there's so many different like pieces that seem like they had nothing to do with each other. And you may send an email or leave a message or, you know, attempt to make a connection with someone and never hear from them, but they may have read your story and it's kind of stored in the back of their mind. And it may be a bridge for connecting with somebody else um, and a different opportunity. And you would never know if you didn't take that first step. That's very true. That's very, very true, actually. I, I totally agree with that. And you really don't learn it until you start living it kind of by accident. I see. <laughs> That's how it's been for me, at least. And we do kind of have to accept that life has failures. There's no person that is only successful and hasn't had a bunch of failures dropped into their lap and disappointments. I've gone through bouts of depression and I'm very open about that because it's so prevalent and, and we need to be open and honest about it. I think what, what helps me come out of my disappointment phases, which are real, is seeing the people, again, that I admire, things that I want to do and kind of lift myself up. And I'm lucky because I have a supportive family and a supportive husband who puts up with all my travel. We do have to understand that we kind of have to let go of all the negativity around us and find that strength to reach out to people and, and receive the help that we need and the inspiration. Connection so important. The last guest that I had on, we were going over the latest research with the veterinary wellness study. And a big chunk of that was just dealing with the connection and the support that's available to us and making others aware of that. And we were specifically talking about mental health and, and well-being, but it's so true. And I do feel like there's so many opportunities out there to connect that even though you may feel like you're alone and sometimes we tend to like isolate ourselves and make it worse, there's no reason to. Um, there's no excuse to do that because there's just so many different avenues nowadays. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll come um, back and just keep digging into your story and the work that you're doing. I love the, the way that our conversation's going. So we'll be right back. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. As a veterinarian, it's important to perfect your clinical skills. That's why VetCandy created a master course in toxicology. The master course is taught by a board-certified criticalist and delivers a thorough evaluation of the science and clinical practice skills needed to master toxicology, from decontamination to treatment. And when you complete the course, you receive exclusive tools to celebrate, recognize, and share your accomplishment. And what's even more exciting, the course is free and provides race and New York State approved continuing education credits. This program is brought to you by Vitoquinol. Start learning today at myvetcandy.com forward slash talks. Start learning today at myvetcandy.com forward slash TOX. Welcome back. You are listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica, and I'm here with Dr. Anna. And 
We have just been exploring her story of the work that she does all over the world and the importance of the role that people play in our lives and um, just connection within our profession. I would like to kind of shift a little bit. And, you know, we've been talking about the importance of encouragement and mentorship and um, having people around that kind of help us believe in ourselves and our dreams when we maybe, you know, kind of lose a little bit of that belief. But what have you seen or experienced or have you seen or experienced the opposite of that within the work you've done, whether it's with other veterinarians or just with colleagues, when you may not be as supported and may even feel like you're competing? I think the first time I experienced competition ever in my life, and I think that stems from the fact that when I was in Greece, barely anybody I knew wanted to be a vet, so I had no idea what competition is, uh, was in vet school. Uh, Vet school was an eye-opener for me, and I struggled a lot with some of the environments that were created at the time. And then going into practice, I can see how competition again goes into the profession when people are very exhausted, um, if they're competing for shifts or if they just don't know how to be supportive of each other um, through difficult cases and they throw each other under the bus and things like that. So I've definitely seen that. I mean, having worked in numerous hospitals at this point, it's, it's a common theme, not everywhere, but it's out there. And what I want to say is that for anybody who feels alone, you're not, because if you're feeling it, it's very likely that your colleagues and, and other staff in the hospital are feeling the exact same emotions, but they don't want to express them openly. And the other thing is that it's not fair for anybody to feel alone, because at the end of the day, we're in this profession for the same reason and for the same purpose. And it's not for money. It's for the wellness of animals and for helping them feel better and have a better life. Uh, when you were talking about when you got into vet school and the difference between Greece versus the U.S., uh, I could only imagine. It was different. It was different for me. I mean, there was some competition in the biology department from colleagues that wanted to go strictly into research. So they were competing for labs. I didn't have that. My goal was get good grades and then apply to the U.S. and and leave the country and go where you need to go. But vet school was an eye opener. And I was very open and honest about that with the administration at the time, too. And, and I know that that's the case everywhere in the U.S. with vet schools. It's competitive to get in and then people compete for internships and residencies. And they think that that's the biggest issue that they're going to face in their life. But it's not. And then you come out of vet school and you know that nothing, none of, none of that matters. None of that matters. <laughs> it's so true. Do you find that you saw even more of that because you were an outsider? You know, you were coming from... I, I think so. I think so. I also think that at that time I was so, I'm, I'm a person that likes to give and I'd like to be involved. And I think I have natural leading tendencies, whether they're good or not, that's a different story. I, I make my own mistakes. But I think that because of my eagerness also to be involved with clubs and be involved with different events, I got to see the bad side of people and I wish I hadn't. But I also saw a lot of good and I met a lot of people that did make a difference for me and we're still friends and we still get along and we still inspire each other. But definitely coming from a different country and not knowing the culture was was eye-opening and not easy in the beginning. I struggled the first year. Do you have any advice for anyone that might be listening in it 
it doesn't have to be well, you you came from this location and you know whether it's just some kind of difference where someone is maybe in a current situation or position probably not vet school i feel like most of our listeners you know have been out of school and are kind of navigating life but do you have advice for anyone that may feel like an outsider as to how to navigate that but also how can they be part of the change with bringing more unity? I think part of what makes it difficult, at least for vets, I don't know how it is in other profession, is that a lot of us are introverted. So it's very difficult for us to express our feelings and reach out to people. That's one thing that I think helps is reaching out and expressing interest in getting to know people more. Because if you are closed in a cocoon, so will other people. Like nobody's gonna take that leap if you don't want to take it. So for me, it's always reaching out if you can and, and you have that courage giving people the benefit of the doubt because not everything is about you and not everybody is against you. I mean, everybody has their own story and their own struggles. And um, I try to give people chances when I can and I'm in a good mood myself. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's just go to that nurse that nobody talks to and be the one that reaches out or go to the doctor that's cranky and ask them, are you okay? What's wrong? Can I be of help? It's simple things, but I know it's hard because a lot of us are not are not always that social. And that's what makes it even more difficult. Yeah, I agree. And we touched on that the last episode too, because we talked about the findings that they did with personality types and how most veterinarians are more introverted. And I could see in my own kind of journey. So I'm coming up on 12 years since I've been out of vet school and I was a baby in vet school. I mean, I didn't turn 21 until I was almost finished with my first year in vet school. And so I was such a different person, but I was in a cocoon for sure. (laughs) And I had not been, you know, associated with the college really before getting into vet school. And so I was only from a couple of hours away, so not the same situation at all. But there was still a very decent sized group of people that had been knowing each other before they even got into vet school that kind of like stayed together. And I, I felt like I all of a sudden I was like trying to figure out who my people were. And so we did have a handful that we kind of all stayed together, but we very much stayed to ourselves. Like I, there were people that I barely said you know, a few words to probably when we graduated. And it wasn't unless we were on clinics together and we were kind of forced to work together in some capacity where a lot of those relationships, you know, didn't really take place until we were about to leave. And when I started working on myself, I mean, it was a good six years out of vet school and learning more about you know, how I'm made and things that I've gone through and things I'd never really properly dealt with um, and just got to a healthier state. It's like, I've always been introverted in a sense, but it's like, it allowed me to shift out of that a little bit more to where it gave me an opportunity to reach back out and reconnect with colleagues that some of them, we did not have a good relationship. And like you said, you know, we come up with these stories where we think, Um, The person, you know, has something against us or whatever it may be. And so often, like, that's not even close to the situation. But unless you open that conversation, you're never going to find out. And you're either stuck in this place where you are kind of always at odds or you may never even talk to them. But you still have that, like, association of those people, you know, in vet school or in that workspace that made your life more difficult and weren't 
supportive. But then I mean, I look back, I'm like so many of them, I, I wish I could go back to my first year and do things differently because I would have had a completely different experience if I would have just been more open to people and like you say, giving them the benefit of the doubt. And and I wonder what vet schools can change too to make um, vet student experiences better. And I think a lot of them are shifting towards having clinics earlier in the years. And I think that's a big step, not only for the hands-on experience that students can gain, which is very important that they start gaining that as soon as possible, but also to help them get out of that cycle of talking to only five or six people and ignoring the rest of the 90 people that might be in the class or whatnot. Um, so I think changes can happen to help our wellness in, in ways that not they're not very common, I guess, in a lot of schools. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. You touched on something earlier that I kind of want to circle back if you're okay with it, because this is a big part of where my heart is. Um, but you openly shared that you have had bouts of depression. I love how you said like you have experiences of disappointment that are valid, because I think so often like we we may not even be able to identify, oh, well, I'm in a depressive state, but there's something associated with it that has led us to this place of funk or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> um, and some of us, for whatever reasons, we tend to truly get into a state that it's really hard to get out of. And so I think first you need to recognize that cause. And like you said, most of the time it's valid. So like, it's not anything that you needed to do differently, but I think what so many people want to know and what I would love for you to share is but how do you move past that with your experience with going through different bouts and kind of, I'm sure it's very similar to myself. You learn more about yourself each time. And so you're able to kind of like get out of it a little bit quicker. Um, and so I'd love to hear some of the things that you do or you've found that may be helpful for our listeners. So definitely I'm happy to share. Um, so First of all, I have test anxiety and that, that I've had all of, all of my life. And a label wasn't put on until I actually went into, to, to see a psychologist in the U.S. Before that time, I would have blackouts before exams and bouts of depression. And I wouldn't know why. And it was a clear fear of exams and, and going into a testing room. That really made me suffer for many years. And thank God my mom was always there and she helped me through every single test just to get through the day. And then in the working life, in the professional professional life, what makes me upset and can definitely get me into a depressive state is toxic work environments. 
I can deal with an angry client. I like to think that I have good communication skills. Though sometimes, like a lot of people, I have my moments. But if I don't have a supportive work environment, that can be detrimental to me. And I think that's, again, part of the crisis that the emergency and, and the private practices are going through in the U.S. Toxic work environments are making everybody miserable and then depression goes up and everybody's wondering what's happening in our profession. So that's one thing. What helped me get through it is psychotherapy, for sure. And it can take a while to find the best person that can help you through, through that. I had to change three or four psychologists before I found the one person I could actually talk to and feel like I was actually being heard and being helped. Medications also helped. I mean, we are doctors. We know that depression is an imbalance in neurotransmitters. If you don't receive some help to help that balance, it can be that you do a lot of therapy and you still can't get through that, that dark hole that you're in. And through the years, I just realized that I have to learn how to say no and I have to learn how to take myself out of toxic situations. So for me, for example, I haven't had depression in the last three years and I haven't been on meds that whole time. And part of what has helped me is traveling and helping <laughs> undeserved communities, like under underserved communities. Seeing the impact of my work in real life, I think puts things in perspective for me and makes me feel fulfilled. So when I'm in the US, I don't get that same sense because it's fast paced, everybody's upset or everybody's tired. And there are times in the day where I just feel like I'm not making any impact, even though I'm helping patients. So traveling helped me and, and that international side of things that I do has tremendously made a difference. The other thing is saying no to requests that don't fulfill me or stress me out. I just don't go into those situations anymore. So knowing myself a little bit better, knowing my limits. Um, and the other thing is, if I've worked in hospitals where they're toxic, I scratch them off my list. I, I just don't never go back and I don't you know, give negative reviews or anything like that. I just know in my mind that it's not a safe place for me. Um, so th those have been my biggest changes that really, really helped me overcome my personal difficulties. As so many good points. I'm so glad you talked about I mean, everything, but therapy and medications too. I'm very open about both of those things. I, I firmly believe that I'm not saying like everybody go get a therapist, but I, I think everybody could benefit from therapy just because it is so eye-opening with understanding yourself. And I know when I finally started seeing someone, they were able to bring to my attention how I respond to different things and why I respond in such a way. And it was just so eye-opening and allowed me to be able to kind of work backwards and okay well now that i know that i respond by shutting down and I, I have triggers i could start looking for those triggers so then when i notice them i could start you know implementing something before i get to the point of shutting down and sometimes when you're doing that kind of work on yourself it's it's hard work it's you know it takes a lot out of you Sometimes, like you said, you, you do need some help from medications and just knowing that it may be a temporary thing. I'm actually in the process of trying to wean off of my antidepressant. It's scary. I think a lot of people are very hesitant to take that step because they're afraid. Well, I mean, so many reasons for labels and all that, but I think they're afraid that they're going to have to stay on it forever or they're afraid of the process of trying to get off. Like there's just so many different factors, but it makes such a big difference that just focus on where you're at now. And if you know you're in a place that 
something like that may be a benefit, then just do it. <laughs> it's like it makes such a big difference. <laughs> I think we are heading towards, you know, the right direction when it comes to the stigma around depression, because so many people are experiencing it, even if they don't want to voice it out. And unless we're honest with ourselves and, and our own emotions, it's very difficult for anybody to just pull us out of the situation that we're in. I've had for many years, like I will never talk about depression, but I've seen it so much around me within hospitals, mainly in the US, I will say, not so much in other countries that I've been, that I, I do think it's an epidemic within the profession. And, and unless we start talking about it like you are in, in you know, with, with this podcast, people might think that they're alone and they really, they really are not. Well, thank you for being part of that voice. You know, we came into this and I didn't even know that that was part of your story. I love that about this sh show, you know, like we, it's not scripted. We, we let it go with the flow. And I truly feel like the things that are meant to be highlighted with each individual, they always come to light. So I do want to kind of wrap things up with something that you touched on that you found for you travel was such a big part of kind of, you know, getting yourself to a place where you felt fulfilled and, and finding purpose in your work. And I think it's so interesting that you have like the parallel between the U S and pretty much everything else. And so when I, when I was listening to you share about that, I'm like, but what can we say or do to help these people that, or, you know, all they know is the U S version, you know, that's the reality. They could barely even think about going to bed before midnight, much less traveling. And I think part of it is, the second point that you were talking about in that conversation was saying no to things so that you can free up time to do more, but it may not be travel. I personally have realized that I have to physically get away. It may be a couple of hours away for a weekend, roughly quarterly. And that became very apparent during COVID. <laughs> I was really surprised how much that piece of like my routine mattered. And it wasn't just because we were stuck at home, you know, and I, I was trying to navigate having kindergartners at home um, that didn't help. But for my creativity, like for so many different reasons, it that was like it suffered. And so I think you may be in a place where you have something that you could identify. That, oh, that is my thing, whether I need to get away and just completely unplug, you know, turn your phone off. Don't look at an email or whether it's, I don't know, like an evening with some girlfriends just, you know, talking about things that have nothing to do with veterinary <laughs> medicine, just finding those, those little things that you could purposely schedule in that kind of help you balance the not so good. <laughs> and, and I will say, I will say you don't have to exit your country to get away from, from where you are. There are a lot of places you can visit in the U.S. that you can connect with nature and connect with people or find some alone time. What I do when I really need to decompress, my husband is also a vet and I always tell him, we need to go somewhere where there are not going to be any animals whatsoever that might need help. <laughs> so when I need to decompress, I literally just go, let's say, to an isolated part of whatever city I might be in and just let it all go out of my mind. And that's one of the other reasons I ended up deactivating my personal Facebook account, still have my professional on, because um, I was getting so many messenger requests for help 
and phone calls in the middle of the night and throughout the day with, you know, with people needing help. And that's understandable. And I love to help. But it was reaching to a point where my personal boundaries were being crossed. So that's another thing that, that people have to realize that unless we put boundaries, nobody's going to put them there for us. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. I still get like a lot of, I'm like, I haven't practiced in six years, people <laughs> like message somebody. And I mean, it's so often it's like emergency situations and I don't check my messages that often. I'm like, please tell me you, you called an ER like and saw about <laughs> this situation. Um, and I'll tell, you know, colleagues, if you don't want to outwardly explain to people that that is not a good method of reaching you, I promise you, if you don't, like, don't look at it, <laughs> you know, set, like you said, set boundaries where like you don't touch it over the weekend or after a certain time when you get home in the evenings, that's just taking care of yourself. It, it's not, doesn't mean you're a bad vet or any of that, you know, more of us need to, to do that. In, in Greece, they do the other thing where medical doctors and veterinarians give their personal cell phone out to people. And it's also on their website. And for years, I thought that was okay until it started happening to me. And I'm like, I don't know how my colleagues in Greece and, and the medical profession in Greece gets through the day because people call them at all times of the day and all times of the week, even when they're off. And if you don't answer, they get offended and they get angry. Well, I want to give you the opportunity before we, we get off to just share about your most recent work with, you know, just... I mean, everything, but um, you were kind of, you were sharing with me about some specific things that were happening before we, we got on. And I just want to give you a chance to share that with our listeners. Sure. Um, so I would love to share. So um, we just started a new nonprofit based in the U.S. called Veterinary Global Aid. The organization is currently going through the tax exemption status, so we don't have everything officially out yet. But the plan of the organization and the goal, the mission that we have is to provide free care to parts of the world where it is needed or where colleagues might need extra help and some additional training because not everybody has the same background as, you know, vets in the U.S. or vets in the U.K. You know, the hope is to collaborate with sanctuaries and shelters that need extra staffing and help and be able to fund activities of uh, volunteer vets and nurses through donations and partnerships with companies. Um, so that's in the works. So for anybody who wants to help and wants to volunteer, I think that might be a good avenue for that. Not 100% ready yet, but I'm happy to, you know, if anybody emails drannak at gmail.com, I'm happy to welcome people and share more about that initiative. Do y'all have um, like an expected, you think like a couple of months to go through, you know, the, the last bits of the process? So it took six months to get the organization registered in D.C. with the pandemic and everything that was going on. And I know the tax exemption situation takes um, a few more months. 
Um, but in the meantime, we're starting to reach out for partnerships and um, collaborations, etc. So we're open, but I haven't announced it publicly yet for that reason. I don't want people to think they can donate when they can't. So would the email you shared be the best way for people to connect with you or, or keep up with you? I know you said you still have a business Facebook page. Sure. Yeah. So my Facebook page is the same as the um, website that I keep. So it's Dr. Fullward, Dr. Anna, and the letter K is my Facebook tag. And then that's also the website, drannak.com. Um, so they can reach through that or through Facebook. I don't check emergency messages on Facebook, but I am happy to uh, connect with people. No, thank you for sharing that. I want our listeners to be able to stay in touch with our guests and keep on on track with what, what they have going on. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. It was interesting setting up for our listeners. What time is it over there for you again? So it is 11 p.m. now. It's 10 a.m. for me. I know you are so ready to go to bed. <laughs> I'm happy I was on and I'm happy we got to talk about a few real, real issues here that I think people people need to be able to connect with and talk about. So, Me too. I, I think it was well worth the the back and forth and the, and the wait. <laughs> so thank you so much again. All right. This is Living Well with Dr. Jessica. And until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs> Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.